I want to begin with another passage this morning found in Leviticus chapter 10. You don't have to turn there this morning. I'm going to read two verses though. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Strange or unauthorized fire is dangerous. God has made it clear that all worship was to be done in a particular manner which he prescribed in the Old Testament to the children of Israel. They couldn't pick and choose what they wanted to worship or how they wanted to worship. God laid everything out for them. So it was not left up to the nation of Israel or even individuals to determine a certain style or substance of worship that could be performed. In Leviticus chapter 10, we find the account of Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. And they had to learn a very hard lesson through an immediate death of judgment by fire that true biblical worship is important to God. Today, we find many who offer strange fire in churches thinking that they're doing God a service, but God is not impressed. We have looked in the past at what passes for biblical Christianity and the truth is that most of what people know really has nothing to do with the Bible nor does it bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It is purely pragmatic. One ministry commented on it this way. In many ways, the ministry philosophy of pragmatism encourages churches to order and design their worship based on what makes people feel good and what makes people happy. And then they offer that up to God as worship. The problem is that that's not biblical worship. You can go online and many of the mega churches, the reason they are a mega church is because of what they offer the people, not because of what they offer God. Many of the megachurches offer everything, including, as we have seen here in one of the classes that we did probably a year ago now, they even build elaborate stage sets and all kinds of things take place and there's rock bands and rap bands and, and roller coasters and all kinds of things. There's, there's great big swimming pools that are constructed on stage. And it's done for the purpose of entertaining people. Maybe with the hopes that if we just entertain enough, we'll be able to get more people to come to church. So the stages become more elaborate. <coughs> Excuse me, the sermons get grow less and less. They become less doctrinal in their approach. It becomes less about the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes very man-centered. And when it becomes man-centered, it is no longer Christ-centered. This is why worship is so important. Every aspect of worship. Worship, as we will look at, is not just about the time that we sing or the songs or the choruses or raising of the hands. That's not what worship is. Worship really is 24-7. That's what biblical worship is. 
That's what we're called to do. But let's go back to the church because this is what we are talking about. John has addressed the seven churches in Asia Minor and he is now continuing in chapter 4. And so we are going to address us as a church. You see, the reason that you go to church will normally be the reason why you leave. You say, that seems a little strange. If your kids are driving your decision or the music choices are what define your church or the programs are what defines your church or anything other than to glorify Jesus Christ, you and I are worshiping in a pragmatic manner. Now, there's nothing wrong with going because a church has some of these things or because of the type of music they sing, but that's not the reason why we go. We go because we want to see Jesus Christ. We want to see Him, He who alone is worthy of our praise. You see, the pulpit is not about the man who is behind it. We are simply a messenger, a spokespiece, which is why it is so important that if you're a teacher of the Word of God, that when you stand and say, thus says God's Word, that better be what God says. Amen? The messages to the seven churches showed pragmatism does not work with God. In other words, it's not about them. It's not about us. And it may work in drawing a crowd for a very short time, but when the entertainment stops pacifying the goats, they will leave. You see, that's all the Bible calls it. The Bible says that you're either a child of God or you're not a child of God. You're either a believer or you're not a believer. You're either a goat on one hand or a sheep on the other. This is the way the Bible describes each and every person. And what will happen is when the entertainment stops and all the goats leave, all you will have left is starving sheep. This is why it's so important in everything that we do, whether it's the songs that are selected, whether it's the prayers that are offered, whether it's the teaching or, or even the way that we take up the offering. These things are important because they're important to God. And it's important that the way that we address them is to make sure that you, who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not being entertained, but that you are being fed. You would never find in the Old Testament, you would never find a shepherd who goes out to the sheep and, and puts on a clown face or, or puts on some kind of show out there in the field so that the sheep will be happy with themselves. What you would find is a shepherd who watches out constantly for the wolves that would seek to creep into the fold to be able to steal away the sheep. You would find somebody who would take the sheep and lead them beside still waters. A shepherd would take and make sure that the grass that they are eating was good for them so that they wouldn't get a bad stomach and their stomach would swell and that would cause them to fall over in the field and die. Now, being a shepherd is a great responsibility. But we as shepherds have a responsibility even more so to report to the great shepherd of our souls, 1 Peter chapter 5. Revelation chapter 4 is a, is a vision that John has into all the churches of each age as to what the standard should be for worship. 
You see, if it's about roller coasters on the stage or swallowing goldfish or, or handing candy or gifts as bribes to kids to come on the bus or anything other than Jesus Christ is our focus, then our worship has gone from being Christ-centered to being man-centered. I remember years ago when my wife and I were first starting, we had not been saved for or we had not been married for that long couple of three years, maybe of that much. And we went to one particular church and said that we'd be willing to serve. And the first thing they did was put us on a bus. There's nothing wrong with bus ministries, as long as they're done right. And every Sunday they would have a contest and they would see how many kids everybody could get on their buses. And the church ran probably six or seven full-size buses and one little tiny bus that was ours. And so they had a contest one month and they said the one who can get the most people on their buses gets to have the biggest bus, which was actually called Methuselah. It was a very old bus and it was very blue. And at the end of a month, we went from driving a small little bus to Methuselah. And they all wanted to know, well, what are you doing? Are you swallowing goldfish like all the other bus captains? No. No. Are you giving out candy? Nope, never gave out one single piece of candy. Never did any magic tricks. I would drive the bus, 66 passenger bus, bluebird bus, and my wife would try to keep 66 kids in their seats. <laughs> and they said, what are you doing? And I said, well... I said, when we go out on Saturdays and we go and visit these kids, we were given every one of them if they came up candy or played with them or did whatever on a Saturday. I said, but when you come to church on Sunday, we were teaching them that it was about Jesus. I believe this is why pastors are called to jealously guard all pulpit ministries, any ministry that is involved within the church because every aspect is to bring your heart and your mind to the point where we see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. You know, there are a lot of things that we don't do here that a lot of churches do. There are a lot of ministries and programs that we've had in the past. For example, Vacation Bible School. There's nothing wrong with having the additional ministries. The problem is when people are doing it just because they feel that somebody has to do it instead of this is what God has called me to do. This is why we pray every prayer, every hymn, every reading of the scripture, every message. Lord, help it not to be about us, but about Jesus. Because if you leave from here this morning, and the only thing that you can think of is how maybe you think the message is negative, or maybe you think it's positive, or maybe you like this part, or maybe you like that part, and you haven't walked away saying, what a great Savior we have. You have missed everything this morning. One person said the regular regulative principle states that we should only approach God in worship based on the ways that God prescribes for us to worship him in the pages of Holy Scripture. Too often worship becomes flippant or mundane because it's maybe too many times or maybe the services are too long, maybe the messages are too long or they're too short. 
And what we end up is churches offering strange fire in our worship. You can go into any Christian bookstore. Sadly, you can even go to the one here in Cheyenne. And you'll find all kinds of drivel. You'll find a lot of false teaching in that Christian bookstore. And if you and I are not careful... We'll buy into all of the stuff that is on offer. We'll listen to all the music that is on offer and it won't point us to Jesus Christ. You see, clapping our hands or raising our hands, that's not what worship is about. Worship should first speak to your mind. What is your mind telling you about Jesus Christ today? When I walk away from service, the messages that I, that I proclaim every Sunday, I've already preached this to myself a number of times. I've read through my notes. I can't tell you how many times I've already read through my notes by the time I get up on a Sunday morning. But God is already doing a work in my heart. And I can't expect Him to change you if He's not changing me. Teachers, whether you're in the Sunday school class or, or those who help out in the, in, the, in the junior church or the children's church downstairs, you will not be able to see change in your children if you're not prepared to change. If God is not changing you and molding you into the image of His Son. God's Word is clear on how we are to approach God with holiness, with fear, with reverence that recognizes He is a thrice holy God. We have no business coming to God as though he is our buddy. Or that in some way God is obligated to to bless us simply for showing up. If our response is a demand that things be done our way, then our hearts are far from God because God demands true biblical worship. And I want to show you what that looks like according to scripture this morning. Look back again at Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. From the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. In your notes that you have in your bulletin this morning, the first thing I want you to note is the appearance of the throne. In verse 5 through the first part of verse 6. Lightning and thunder. Listen to this passage in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and verse 16. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Many of you may know the account. The children of Israel are in the wilderness and God says to Moses that he is to come up and he is to worship before him. God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments and he tells the children of Israel, do not get too close to the mountain. If you do, you will be killed. Of course, Moses goes up to the mountain. God gives him the commandments and he comes down and what does he find the people doing? And before we wag our finger and say, oh, those dumb Israelites, we would have done the exact same thing. 
and they are worshiping. And as Aaron so foolishly said, well, but, 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 but I don't know what happened. I mean, I just took all this gold and I threw it in the fire and this calf came out and the people started worshiping it. There are a lot of times that people in churches and pastors have, have, have relinquished their responsibility to make sure that everything that is taking place is true biblical worship. And what's happened is they've turned it over to worship bands or they've turned it over to worship teams and one side doesn't know what the other side is doing. There's one church back on the East Coast. If you have watched any YouTube channels, you will know exactly which one I'm talking about. But it seems that Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven is a popular song that is being played in many evangelical churches. And similar type songs are being used because we want the people to sing something that they know the lyrics to. You know, that's one of the things that actually drew us to Yellowstone Baptist Church when we came, when we first became members, you still sang hymns. You sang choruses, you sang, you sang the songs of Zion, you sang songs that lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way it should be. That's not old-fashioned, that's biblical. But in this passage in Exodus chapter 19, we, we find the children of Israel and they're coming up to the mount. They see the lightning, similar to what John sees here. And he would have known the Old Testament scriptures. And he sees the thunder and he sees the lightning. And it says that the people of Israel were afraid to come close to the mountain. And they say to Moses, you go talk with him in case he kills us. Sadly, within evangelicalism though there are a lot of people who come with the same attitude there are people who come to church and they say pastor you do the praying you do the preaching you do the whatever it may be because I don't want to get close to God we talked about it in the Sunday school class this morning and, and, and if you understand the scriptures you will know that you and I are both priests of the most high God you don't have to have a mediator anymore that means that you can pray you can go to God. He is your father as well. But this lightning and thunder portrayed judgment. And John sees the judging hand of God being made evident against a wicked world. And this is seen in, Re in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5, 11, verse 19, and 16, verse 18, when we see this lightning and this thunder showing up again. You say, well, that's not very loving. God is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of love, but he is also a God of wrath and must punish sin. This is why at the end of the days, uh, we, we mentioned this in the morning in, in the Sunday school lesson, but all are not children of God, contrary to what the world wants you to believe. Only those who have come by faith in Jesus Christ alone know him as their savior, have a personal relationship with him that is changing them from moment to moment, hour by hour, day by day. Those are the children of God. And the Bible is clear in Romans chapter 8 that he then takes you and conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. But there is a time that is coming that is your loved ones 
Maybe some here this morning, I do not know your heart. Your neighbors, maybe your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, and they are going to find themselves standing before God just like you and I will, and they will either stand before him and he will be their savior or he will be their judge. That should make you tremble. I shared an illustration this morning of in the Sunday school lesson about what happens if you were to come upon an accident and you've only got a couple of minutes left with that person, what would you say to them? Samuel came up afterwards and he told me, he says, I had somebody pull in front of me in a Toyota 4Runner. Samuel drives a big truck and he was coming up Highway 230 into Laramie and a Toyota 4Runner cut right in front of him at 65 miles an hour, tore the car completely in half. Somehow the person lived. But as he said, if all I had was a couple of minutes with them, the first thing that I would want them to know is, or I would want to ask them is, have you made peace with God? If you have not made peace with God, I can tell you how to have peace with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone knowing that he has forgiven you of your sins. This is the gospel message. Knowing that Jesus Christ bore the penalty so that you wouldn't have to. But this lightning and thunder, this should, if you're not a believer or you do not know for sure this morning that you're a believer, this passage of scripture should start puts, to put the fear of God in you. Because what God is promising here in this passage is that judgment is coming. And if you're not a believer, it should scare you to death. John goes on to speak of the seven torches of fire or the seven spirits of God. This doesn't mean that there are seven Holy Spirits. It is simply a representation as seen in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And here we find that Isaiah speaks of the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the might, the knowledge, the respect, and the fear of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 and 10, then he says unto me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven spirits are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. Basically what John is saying here is you can't hide from God. And then we find at the end of verse, or in the middle of verse 6, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass. John is struggling here to be able to comprehend what he's even seeing, much less find the exact words. It's the same thing that we find in Ezekiel chapter 1, where Ezekiel is given a vision of God, and he says, it was like this, it was, I think it was like this, and it kind of looked like that, and I'm not sure, but it, it kind of resembled this. Because he can't comprehend what it's like to look into heaven.
It's not an actual sea that John is speaking of here because Revelation 21 tells us that there is no actual sea in heaven. So here we are shown a metaphor of what the throne room must have looked like to John. He's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel. This is speaking about the elders who went up with Moses into the mount. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. My friends, you and I cannot begin to imagine what heaven is going to be like. It's not going to be about us having a pair of wings and fluttering around like ghosts and strumming on a harp. It's not going to be about any of that. It's going to be about the wonder of learning more of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. However he's going to do that, you know, we're just going to be happy that we're there. We can talk about the streets of gold and the mansion over the hilltop and we can talk about all of these things that we see in the scriptures, particularly when we get to Revelation chapter 21, but your mind and mine still can't comprehend what it will be like. I've had people tell me to my face, even relatives, who said, you know what, I think heaven's just going to be a boring place. I'd rather go to hell and be there so I can have a party with all of my friends. Well, let me clarify if this is your thought today. There will be no party in hell. And you won't be with your friends. You will be alone. And the Bible says that there will be gnashing of teeth because from the very moment that you enter hell, God will have been just, he will have been right in sending you there for your rejection of Jesus Christ. We don't like thinking about this. We, we want to believe, like some believe, the universalists who believe that, well, everybody's going to end up in heaven. Everybody's not going to end up in heaven. Matthew chapter 7 is very clear that the way to heaven is is very narrow. You only get there one at a time. Kids, your parents can't get there for you. Grandparents, you can't get there for your grandparents or for your grandkids. That's why you have to tell them. My wife has shared this before with some of you ladies I know. Her parents made the decision years ago that they were going to allow their kids to decide for themselves whether they wanted to believe in God. Today, my wife is the only one who is faithfully in church out of four kids. That's a pretty bad statistic. 25%. I would hate to stand before God and say, God, only only one of my kids is here. because I wasn't faithful, because I wasn't true to the scriptures, because I didn't teach them what God's word has to say. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what country you live in. 
the message is still the same and it has nothing to do with the sign on the door. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Can you imagine what John is envisioning and what he is seeing here when he he tries to get this understanding and he knows what the thunder and the lightning is for and he knows the judgment is coming. Do you not think that John knew people who were going to go to hell when they died? John then introduces these four living creatures starting in the second half of verse 6 and man, what a... What a strange breed, what a strange being. These are not actual animals, but these are incredible beings that represent the glory of God's creation. And whatever they may be, these these creatures are fully involved in the coming tribulation that we find starting in chapter 6. And just briefly, the lion here represents the wild animals and I believe the strength that, that God gives the one who represents the ox and these are not actually a lion it's not actually an ox it's just the only way John knows how to describe it but I believe that this represents the domestic animals and we find that in here we find that the ox represents the service that we can give as mankind you say why are these things important I mean it seems strange to be able to read of these creatures and understand and they've got six wings and and one looks like a lion one looks like an ox one has the face of a man one has the face of an eagle I believe it ties into what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 he says even creation longs to be released from sin When these things begin to pour out and God pours his wrath out on man, it will not be a very good day. And in these representations, these four living creatures, the man representing the pinnacle and most glorious of all of creation, mankind. And this being, I believe, represents that which is only found in mankind and that is reason, the soul of man. At the very beginning, Adam, created by God, spent time fellowshipping with God in the cool of the evening, every evening. And then he decided that what Satan had to offer was more important. The fourth creature represents all the flying creatures and the speed that is involved with them as they cross. And we will see an eagle that flies later throughout Revelation. And there's some that are crying, but every one of these creatures do something special because they are like the creatures that are found, the cherubim that are found in Isaiah chapter 6. And they have these six wings and these eyes, the same vision given to Isaiah And they're unique because with two of the wings, they are covering their eyes in the presence of the Lord because it is impossible for them to even look on such holiness. With two of their wings, we find that they are covering their feet to indicate that they are on holy ground. I can remember when my dad was going around doing itinerant work years ago 
we went and visited one church in particular. It was a big church. May have had four or 500 people in the church. And they sang. Boy, did they sing. There's nothing wrong with singing. And they sat down, or they sat down, the congregation sat down, and the choir got up, and they started singing. And boy, did they sing. And they sat down, and then the music director got up, and he says, anybody like to sing a special? And like it's heard in some churches, they, people stood up, and they normally all said the same thing. Well, I ain't practiced none, but y'all pray for me. And they sang for a while, and they ended up singing for an hour and 45 minutes. And the pastor stood up, and my dad was scheduled to preach, share his ministry about us going to England as where they went as church planters. And he looks over at my dad, and he says, well, he says, this dear brother missionary has come a long way to be able to share about his country. And, well, if we've had a wonderful time singing, but I guess if we have to hear you speak, we'll hear you speak. So if you'll take about three or four minutes to preach. <clears throat> My dad forgot to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence Churches. And my dad preached for 40 minutes. And the love offering that he received that night was $25. The reason I share this is because there's nothing wrong with singing. The Bible says, though, it is the preaching of the word that saves souls. This is what we must have. These four living creatures, as they are standing around the throne, and with maybe two of the wings they're flying, as we find in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, and the other two, they're covering their faces, as the cherubim did, and with two, they're covering their feet because they're on holy ground, and they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no rest as they worship. And in heaven, there will be no need for sleep. The joy that will be ours as we sing along with the rest of the redeemed. You know, if, if you don't have a hymn book, buy a hymn book. Borrow a hymn book from the chair in front of you. And take these wonderful hymns and sing these words. Just read the words to God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Is that how you worship? What is the worship about? It's about the one who is on the throne. This next section, which we will not get through all of this this morning, but it is said that the incredible music from Handel's Messiah, anybody here ever heard, gone to hear Handel's Messiah? You have missed out on one of the greatest musical, uh, not a musical like maybe you're thinking of, but one of the greatest pieces of music that was ever written. And it is said that when it got to the Hallelujah Chorus, that King George II during its premiere in London, England, stood to his feet when he heard the stirring words and the beautiful music that accompanied it and said this, no earthly king should sit when faced with the Messiah. 
those around him in the theater then stood to their feet because it would not have been proper for them to remain seated while their king stood. John MacArthur notes this. He says, There is a growing choir that takes place at the throne. First, we find the four living creatures that begin in verse 8. The 24 elders then chime in in verse 10. Thirdly, in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, harps are added. The angels then add their untold myriads of voices in chapter 5, verse 11. And finally, every creature in heaven and earth sings the wonder of the thrice holy God in chapter 5, verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. Does that not make you want to worship the one true God? The one true God who looked down through eternity saw the depraved wretches that we were and still set his eternal love on us and came down, sent his son down to the earth to be able to die for us so that we might be with him forever, still knowing how we would live every day, still knowing the problems that we would have, still knowing, as Paul said in in Romans chapter 7, the good that I'm supposed to be doing I don't do, and the bad things that I'm not supposed to be doing I still do. O wretched man who will deliver me from this wicked flesh. But I am so thankful that Paul didn't stop there. He continued in chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what salvation does. It brings you to the point where you worship the thrice holy God, the same one that these four living creatures and the angels, the 24 elders, they're all worshiping God. I don't believe that you and I can comprehend the wonder of what it would be like to hear these indescribable creatures beginning to fill heaven and earth with their never-ending cries of worship. These living beings giving glory and honor and thanks because of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who lives forever. There was a time when heaven fell silent at the sacrifice of the eternal Lamb, but those days are a distant memory now. Because Sunday was coming, Sunday came, and in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we find these words, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You have an advocate in Jesus Christ. I'm sure every one of us could agree this morning that we all sin at least once a day. How would you feel about your salvation if with that one sin you might take yourself out of the Savior's hand? I would live in perpetual fear. But because my hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, I don't have to trust what man says. I don't have to trust the man-made religions of the world. 
some of you have heard different choirs, maybe even huge choirs. There's there's a choir you can find uh, 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 songs and hymns that they have sung over in England. It was 10,000 man male choir, male voice choir. I don't think they do it anymore, but you can find old uh, recordings of this. But if you can imagine, I mean, 10,000 won't even cover the number of angels that are singing. The Bible says that there is an untold number of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And one day we will all be before the throne and we will all sing praises to God. Sister Blanca thinks we're all going to sing in Guarani, but I'm not sure. Whatever the language is, it may very well be like it was at the day of Pentecost when Peter spoke and everybody heard in their own language. It may be that we'll speak our whatever the language is. When Brother Mickey was in the Philippines here just a couple of weeks ago, the languages that they speak down on that island the various islands, what, over a 1,000, 7,000 islands, I think, in the Philippines. Whatever tribe, whatever tongue, whatever people, whatever nation. In fact, there are going to be, there. I believe there will be languages in heaven that aren't even spoken on this earth anymore because somewhere down through history, God reached out with his saving good news and they heard the gospel and came to faith in Christ. What a day that will be. The crescendo of worship that we find with these four and twenty elders in verse 10. They ring through all of creation. And it says, and when the living creatures give glory in verse 8 or verse 9, then the four and twenty elders fall down. There won't be any crackling, hesitant voices. If you don't think you can sing now, you will sing then. Brother Diego and I kid each other and he keeps telling me he's going to play an instrument or he's going to sing a song. When we get to heaven, we will all sing perfectly. Because each person that sings will join the choir and it will make creation aware that the Lamb is on his throne. But just in case you were wondering, God is on his throne now. He has always been on his throne. He will ever be on his throne. He has never given up his throne, nor will he give up his throne. you to look at a hymn with me. Hymn number six. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, and light inaccessible hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days, Almighty, Victorious, Thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, 
nor wanting nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. Verse 4, great father of glory, pure father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. Look at hymn number 16. These creatures have fallen down before the throne. One day we will fall down. We will worship on our faces before him. There are many who have claimed to have come face to face with God, but it's just a money-making racket. It's false teaching. When people in the Bible truly met with God, they were singing, O worship the King. They looked for the lowest place in the ground to put their faces, for they knew they were on holy ground. Listen to these beautiful words. O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion in splendor and girded with praise. O tell of His might, O sing of His grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is His path on the wings of the storm. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust, and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, Redeemer and friend. Why would you want anything more? Why would we want anything more from a Heavenly Father who has bestowed all the spiritual blessings upon us in heavenly places? The blessings that we have here, it's not just about your salvation, it's about keeping you, preserving you, sanctifying you, and one day, Praise be to his name. He will come back and he will glorify you, give you a brand new body, a body that will never decay. You will never sin again and you will be forever with the Lord who loved you enough to come die for you. We will pick up Lord willing next week when we talk about casting crowns and the song of worship. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy are you. Let's pray. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy are you, O Lord, you who have redeemed some and will have redeemed some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. To you we give praise and honor and glory. Lord, we cannot begin to comprehend what heaven will be like. We cannot begin to understand the wonders, not just of heaven, but seeing the angels singing, seeing these living creatures singing, hearing all of creation to the point where the earth will move, heaven itself will ring with the shouts of praise. 
for everyone who is a true believer, we will be able to rejoice and sing with them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, as we look at Revelation, help us not to be afraid of this book. Help us to rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that we get to sing and raise our voices as well. Help every day to be a day of rejoicing, not just Sunday mornings. We thank you for your love this morning, for your mercy that is bestowed upon each and every one of us. Thank you that there is now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus and that anybody who is not a believer can also know the truth that there is no condemnation for them. Help people not to worry about what others may think, but that they would look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We ask this because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of all of our praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Sam, what song are we going to conclude with? Amazing Grace, 330. What a good hymn. Stand with us as we sing. Let's sing the first and the last of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Saved a wretch like me. 330. 330, yep. 330. Amazing.